If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to 1 John. We're going to start today in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. It's in the back of your Bibles. You can get to the very end and start to go to the left, and you're going to find 1 John in chapter 2. We are in a new series on 1 John, the first letter that the Apostle John wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, and entitling this sermon, Discerning Truth from Lies. Last week, we kicked off our series, and we saw how John started his letter with first a strong proclamation of the true Jesus, that Jesus is fully God and, and fully man. And then he asked two questions. And the, question, the first question was, am I walking in the light? Am I not walking in the darkness, but rather in the light? And then the second question was, am I humble enough to consider myself a sinner? You know, although John wrote this between 80 and 95 AD, although he wrote it that long ago, the words that he writes are as relevant to us today in our cultural moment today. Um, let me ask you a question for us today. Is it possible to know God and yet experience no life change at all? Is it possible to know God and have no life change? Or can you say that you're a Christian and live your life any way you want to live it? Or how about this, just simply, can you know God and live like hell? Can you do that? Adrian Rogers, uh, author and pastor, he, he said this. He said, you study, you study the Bible to know about God, but you obey the Bible to know God. In the beginning of 1 John, we see over and over and over and over and over again the tests of a real Christian. And when someone says to you, I'm a Christian, I'm 100%, I'm a Christian, you can ask yourself or ask in your mind, ask yourself, do, does he believe the truth about Jesus? Maybe we can call that the first test. The second thing you can ask is, does he obey God according to his word, the Bible, and the third is, does he love others the way Jesus loved? In 1 John, knowing God and loving God, loving God are intertwined. And John uses the word know and he uses the word love over 40 times in this first letter. And both the know and the love lead to obedience. To know God is to love God. And to love God is to obey God. And according to the Apostle John, there's a huge difference between merely saying something and actually doing something, and me between merely saying and truly knowing about God. Let's take a look at our text today. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3, and we'll go all the way to chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 3, and we'll go to verse 11 today. Starting in verse 3. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is God's word for us today. Hey, before we get in the sermon today, I want to stop and take a look at verses 7 and 8. So just kind of key in on verses 7 and 8. And I think these words are, are very interesting. I had a tough time with these um, two verses this week, trying to figure out how they fit in this context of, of our text. And, and I'll just say this. With verses 7 and 8, um, I think it's confusing. And I don't know what they mean. I mean, I could... We can take word or phrase by phrase, but to fit in this text, I don't know why it's there. And there's uh, smarter people than I am. I read all their books this week and read all their posts. The scholars, they don't all agree on these two verses here. Um, But I'll say this. When you look at verse 7, he starts off with the words, dear friends. And so what I take from that is, is this is a very personal section. It's, it's, it's very personal when he talks about dear friends, but it's very confusing. Just take a look at verse 7. He says, dear friends, very personal, I am not writing you a new command. And stop there. In verse 8, he says, yet I'm writing you a new command. Okay, so, so some smarter guys kind of put it all together and they, they link it with the Uh, the other two verses that follow, but it's confusing to me. And it was probably not confusing to them as he writes this. I think it could be a play on words he's using here, or maybe it was a previous conversation or a previous teaching or a previous thing that they always talked about. And so it sort of could be like insider language, like he's using these words about... uh, this message, old command, this new command, and it's sort of like, yeah, kind of, remember we talked about that or we've been talking about that? And it was probably not confusing to them at all. Um, And I think it's worth thinking about it a little bit, but I don't think right now it's worth thinking about it way too much Um, because I think if you do that in these two verses, they're going to, Take us away from the clear truth of what our text brings out today. So, don't think about it too much. Think about it a little bit. 
I wouldn't spend all week studying it and trying to figure it out and then telling me or writing me an email later about what, what it means. Um, but you can, and I'll read it. So let's get into our sermon today. How, how about that? I've never, in 36 years, I've never done that and, and, and read a part and said, I, I don't know. And so we'll just leave it alone. Um, so this is a first for me. Okay, let's get into our sermon. If I say I'm a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian, or if you know someone who says I'm a Christian, the Apostle John in 1 John, in the very beginning, he says there's three proofs or three tests, if you want to call it that. The first is we'll call it the theological test, and we looked at it last week. And the question here is, do I believe the truth about Jesus? If you missed last week's sermon, we talked about that. Jesus, it says in the very beginning of 1 John, Jesus is fully God, fully man, full divinity, full humanity. And, and, um, and you're not ashamed to share that truth about Jesus. It's the theological test. And, and you find that your fullest joy, your, the most joyful thing you can have in your life is knowing Jesus because of who he is. So that's the theological test. When someone says, hey, I'm a Christian, first test is, do you believe the truth about Jesus? And today, we're going to take a look at the next two proofs, or the next two te tests. The second one is this. We'll call it the morality test. Do I obey God's commands? Do I obey God's commands? In verses 3 through 6 of chapter 2 in our text today, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now this takes us further than what we talked about last week, about walking in the light. Walking in the light is widely known and accepted moral standards. But Jesus' commands, they go a little bit further than that. See, I get started when I give my life to Jesus. I get started with, I'm walking in the light. Um, and then I grow, and I'm maturing, and I'm learning more about Jesus, and I'm understanding his teaching. And so it's not just like this. It's not just don't kill your neighbor, which is a widely expected moral standard. I mean, you know, we don't kill people. That, that's it. But Jesus says it like this. He says, don't just not kill your neighbor. He says, don't hate your neighbor. Okay, so it gets, it gets deeper. It gets more specific. It gets more um, in your heart. The widely accepted moral standard is don't commit adultery. I hope it's still there. But Jesus says this. He says, don't just not commit adultery. He says, don't lust after another. But I need you to know, and this is a warning for us as we look at, do I obey God's commands as a morality test? We're not just talking about perfection. We're talking about what direction are you headed? Not perfection, but direction. Because if, if you took this verse and not the rest of Scripture, some of you would go home very depressed. Or you would go home and just say, I give up then. I, I I can't do it. Every one of us finds something 
that we struggle with. And I think we can all relate to the Apostle Paul when we read in Romans 7. He says, the very things I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. Obeying his commands is about direction, not about perfection. Let's drive down just a little bit deeper in, in this test. Um, in your notes, the first point there is, um, I'll obey God even when it's inconvenient. Because I think this is a, a huge, huge issue today. When I only obey God when it's convenient in my life. He's not my God. He's really just my consultant, my counselor at that point. A, a common example, I, I think I'm, I'll probably be meddling in some of your business right now, but a common example is this, is that God's word tells us that sexual intimacy is reserved for those who are married to each other. Now, if you're together with someone, you're dating someone right now, and you're sexually intimate with that person, you might be thinking in your mind, you know, we plan to get married one day, right? Or um, we want to get married, but we don't have the money right now to pull off a big wedding. Or it's just not the right time. Like, um, we want to plan a really nice wedding, a, a big wedding reception, and it's not the right time because I got relatives outside of the country or from across the country, and, and they're, they're going to fly in, and we've got to kind of arrange that and make all those plans. So, you know, and I understand all those reasons are not convenient, and I can see that waiting is inconvenient. But, you know, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, we need to submit, and he's going to make our path straight. God's going to work those things out. So I'll obey God even when it's inconvenient. Second point we could make here is I'll obey God even when it doesn't make sense. That's a... The smarter we get, sometimes God doesn't make sense. And as if chapter 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts more than your thoughts. In the scripture, it simply means God knows stuff that you don't understand. And we sometimes think that we're smarter than God. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I think we live our lives like that. You know, and you know, over the summer we did this series on Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith. And, and uh, I want you to read this passage this week. It's in your notes. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. And it's the condensed version of the story of Abraham who trusted God even when God didn't make a lot of sense to Abraham. <clears throat> God tells Abraham, I want you to move from your hometown. He liked it in his hometown. But God says, I want you to move. And in that day, they had no Zillow.com to figure out housing, right? 
they didn't have whatever the other one was to figure out the schools are good in that area and, and all that sort of a thing. But God just said, just follow me. You're going to like it. Just trust me. Just, just go without knowing. And Abraham did. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You'll be the, the father of many in Abraham's. I, I don't have any kids. How can that happen, right? Abraham is over 100 years old. His wife is as old. The scripture tells us he was as good as dead. Now, you can figure that out for yourself, but um, God says to Abraham, next time this year, you're going to have a son. None of it makes sense. I'll obey God even when it doesn't make sense and then I'll obey even when it hurts, which is really difficult for many of us, me included. I'll obey God even if there's pain. I'm willing to obey even when it brings temporary pain. And, and just honest talk, there may be times in your life that obeying God's commands doesn't work out in the short run. Or it's super painful, or, or it's, it hurts. And I, and I think about an example. Um, interesting passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus' obedience that leads him to the cross, which was pain, painful. It was, it, was, it was terrible. But I, I look at this Scripture in Hebrews chapter 5, and I, I, I find this incredible Scripture testifying to Jesus 100% divine and 100% human. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And then it says in verse 8, Although he was a son, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I'll obey even when it hurts. For us, we obey God's commands. We, we, we grow and we change. And, and, and we might obey even when it's inconvenient or when it doesn't make sense or, or when it's painful. But we know that God is faithful and he's good and he's kind and he's, he's going to make sense eventually. And our obedience will lead us in the direction of being fully formed followers of Jesus Christ. To be better equipped to be everyday missionaries right where he's placed us. You know, some of you here today, you're, you're not there. You haven't crossed the line of faith. You haven't raised your hand and said, I'm a Christian now. And you're just checking things out. But I want you to know, it, it's not the perfection of our lives. It's the direction where we're headed. And, and God, through his word, he, he holds it out. and He says, this is the direction. That's why we read it and we, we, we study it. That's why we talk about it. That's why we live by it. Because we're people of the scripture. We're people who, who, who say, I'm a Christian. And what that means, well, the it means that we believe the truth about Jesus. We call it the theological test. It means that we believe 
that we need to obey God's commands. That's the morality test. And the, and the third one is this. We'll call it the ethical test. And the question is simply, do I love others? Do I love others? And it's the love question. And to define the love question clear, I mean, we could say, do you love others? Do you do nice things and kind things and, and all of that? But I think I'm going to go the other way, just so it kind of helps us to understand clear. To define love, the love question clear, the question is, is there a brother or sister in my life that I won't forgive? Is there someone in my life that I think I'm going to hold my bitterness and my anger against them? Take a look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. We'll talk about things that blind us in a second. So let's drill down deeper in what this all means. When I love others, the first thing is I'll trust God to bring about justice in my life. If I don't know God, I try to enact justice on my own. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, I trust him to bring about justice. The more I know God, I discover he's a lot better at protecting my interests and the interests of others than I am. But those who only know about God, that Jesus has not come into their life, and change them from the inside out yet. Those who only know about God don't understand. They don't understand that, that God is the ultimate protector. He's the ultimate provider. Look at this interesting account in the life of John who tries to enact justice on his own. Take a look at this. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. So this is a gospel account. John is in this story, the one who wrote 1 John here. And, and um, it's John learning about justice from the hands of Jesus. Take, take a look at this. In verse 51 in Luke chapter 9, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So I, I'm thinking that this is like towards the end. He's setting out for Jerusalem He's with the disciples. They're walking towards Jerusalem. It's resolute. He's like, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm going to meet the cross there. It's, it's, I'm going to get arrested. It's, it's, I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be murdered. And we're setting out for it. It's pretty intense. And they're traveling, Jesus and the disciples. A lot of stress on this journey, this last journey. Jesus about to be arrested, tried, and murdered. Verse 52. And Jesus sent messengers, and these messengers apparently were John and James. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So they're traveling along. Jesus sends these guys. He says, hey, go, ahead, go on ahead. Find a place for us to stay for the night. Start thinking about what we're going to eat tonight because we're traveling along. We send these guys ahead. Now, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. That's a whole other story. And getting a hotel room and preparing a meal, yelping up a good restaurant in, town, in the town we're coming to, 
is a hard thing. It's, it's a Samaritan town, right? Verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The feud continues. They go and they try to get a room and a place. The guy says, who's it for? My rabbi and my friends. And they're thinking, oh, Jewish. And beep, the no vacancy sign lights up, right? No meal, no hotel. Verse 54, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Like, should we take it out? I mean, you know, what, should we take care of them right now and just waste these people right now? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. So interesting, isn't it? Early times in the life of John. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul gives us honest and challenging and practical ways to deal with people who have wronged us. Paul was wronged. It's obvious here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says in verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. And then he says this, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. Not, I'm going to go and get him. I'm going to gossip about him. I'm going to slander him. You know, all, all of that sort of a thing. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him, however, because he strongly opposed our message. And then it says this, at my first offense, no one came to my support. And there could be none of you came to my support. When I was hurting, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And then he says, may it not be held against them. Some of you, maybe you feel hurt because you didn't get invited to the party that everyone else did. Some of you felt like you had a need and you really could have used help, but not enough help came and you feel angry about that. And the Apostle Paul would say, and he would tell you, don't hold it against them. And it's, a, it's an idea of, do I love others even when it's painful like this? Second point we can make about this is, I'll ask God to help me when I want to hold the grudge. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so we need to ask God to open our eyes, to take the blindness away from our eyes, to open my eyes to see how much I've been forgiven. When I think about all that I've been forgiven, that's where we need to begin if we're going to have a, have a start with trying to forgive someone that's difficult to forgive. Open my eyes, God, to see how much I've been forgiven. The second thing is this. Open my eyes to the high cost of my bitterness. When I'm walking around angry and bitter and Slander and gossip just starts to spill out of me. For whatever reason that happens, I need, to open, I need God to open my eyes that bitterness is not really helping me. And the third is this. Open my eyes, God, to see how you want me to change in all of this. To see a different perspective. To open my eyes to see what's really happening. Even though I feel wronged, how can I love? Three tests to whether I know God. 
The first is a, is a theological test. Do I believe the truth about Jesus? The second is a morality test. Do I obey God's commands? The third is an ethical test. Do I love others? And you know what? These tests, they are not a binocular. They are a mirror. When I look at these tests, they, I hold them up to myself in, in a mirror, and I ask myself, do I believe the truth about Jesus? Do I? Do I obey God's commands? And do I really love others? Rather than binoculars, do you obey the truth about Jesus? Do you really believe that you're always right and never wrong? Instead of looking at somebody else, these are mirrors for us to hold up to our life. It's a self-test to see how we can grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus. A good question to ask is how am I growing in my relationship with God and is my life really changing? Amen?